You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Friends, welcome this morning. My name is Spencer, and I'm the pastor here. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Proverbs chapter 3 today. I encourage you to to follow along with us as we work through this. We're in part two of a series called Enough, and we're exploring uh, contentment and how do we grow in contentment, and what does this look like as as followers of Jesus to grow into contentment? Because really, there's there's kind of two approaches you can take to to being more content in your life. Uh, One is, is just to get a lot more. That's one way to do it. You just get a lot more of whatever it is you want. And if you just fill your life with more, then surely you'll, you'll have enough. Except what tends to happen if that's your approach is your garage can never be big enough. Your closet can never be big enough. Your bank account can never be big enough. And just somehow, even though you filled your life with all this more, it's never enough. So that's one approach you can take. Uh, the way of Jesus, though, is that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so there's this counterintuitive way that we go about this that it's not so much that we have enough and we find contentment in our life because we've gotten more, but simply because we've given more. It's a counterintuitive approach that, that we find that uh, contentment grows in our life through the practice of generosity. And so we're exploring this connection between generosity and, and contentment because in the kingdom of God, uh, we find that we have enough when we cultivate and practice um, this generosity. Contentment and generosity in the kingdom of God are are really two sides of the same coin. They're, they're tightly wound together. And so we're exploring um, how to grow into this. Now, what I found to be true about generosity is that like everything else in the spiritual life, generosity doesn't just happen. Like nothing in the spiritual life just happens. You don't just become generous on accident. It takes something that, that is cultivated and grows within us. It's a spiritual practice that we develop. And so we're, we're looking at what, is this, what does this take within us? How do we cultivate this within us? Because as we cultivate more uh, generosity within us, we're going to find that we actually have enough in life and we have a sense, a much deeper sense of contentment as we grow that. And so what we're going to do through this series is get practical about how to do this. I don't want to offer you just good ideas. I want to offer you some tools to use in your life that, that can help you grow into this and develop and cultivate this uh, deeper and deeper in your life. We've got two things for you coming up. First of all, uh, the church has put together a resource for you that you can use, uh, some tools that you can, can, can use to, to cultivate and think about generosity in your life. Uh, the first thing here is a website that we've developed. Um, you can find that in enough.sumc.co, some, some tips, some practical approaches to generosity that you can use in your life. You can find that on that website. Um, the second thing is that over the next couple weeks, you're going to receive at your house a commitment card, a pledge card. And the purpose of this commitment card is that this is a way that you can practically uh, live into and think through the question, what does God want me to do? It's a, it's a practical uh, way for you to, to put pen to paper and to, and to say to the Lord, what, what is your will for me? How do I live into this and how do I cultivate this? And so we'll be talking more about that over the next couple of weeks, but I'll offer you these, these very practical things. Uh, today, as we work through our, our message today, we're going to get very practical as well. I, again, I don't want to offer you just good ideas. I want to offer you some tools, um, some things that I've used in my life that have been helpful for me, and I think they'll be helpful for you. And 
So today I want to offer you the best advice I've ever received on, on cultivating generosity. I think it's incredibly helpful. And I want to offer that to you. But before we get there, um, we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 3. Because Proverbs chapter 3 describes to us uh, one of the key characteristics of people who are generous and content. One of the key things that they hold um, in their life. And so Proverbs 3, we're going to start with two incredibly famous verses. I'm sure if you've been in church, you've heard these verses before. Many of you can probably just say them because they're just so famous. But Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 5 and read 5 and 6. And we're going to read a little bit more just as we keep going here. But here's how it goes. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Famous, famous, famous verses that we have here. These are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Um, probably some of the first verses I ever memorized from the scripture. Just such famous, famous verses. You see them all over the place if you have been in church. And what we tend to do when we read these two verses is we, we pick these two verses up out of the Proverbs and we look at those two verses and we memorize them and we don't realize that this is part of one whole thought that's being uh, read here. And so what we're gonna do this morning is don't close your Bibles yet, put your thumb there because we're, we're gonna come back to this in a few moments because I wanna show you what the context of those two famous verses are because Proverbs 3 verses 1 through 10 are one thought component, one thought. And I wanna read to you how it keeps going with the thought and the context of this in just a moment. Because Proverbs chapter 3, these very, very famous verses are really about one specific way that we trust in the Lord. But before we get there, I want to talk about this phrase that starts it all off. Proverbs 3 just said, trust in the Lord, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, trust in the Lord. There's a temptation when you hear a phrase like trust in the Lord to think it's one of those things that Christians say that doesn't mean anything. You've heard things like this, like, Sometimes Christians say things, they're like pie in the sky, spiritual statements, and you're not really sure what to do with something like that. Like, like we say, like, um, just leave your, leave your troubles at the door. But what does that mean to leave your troubles at the door? Like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to separate that in my life from that. Or Christians say, it was one of my favorite ones, um, just let go and let God. I don't know how to, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what that looks like. Like it's a, it's kind of a frustrating thing when people say things or, or, or you might hear, uh, here's another one of my favorites, live each day to the fullest. I mean, you can make t-shirts about that kind of thing. Live each day to the fullest as if some days you don't live them to the full. I don't understand really what those kinds of things are, but you, you, there's a temptation that when you hear a phrase like trust in the Lord to think it's like one of those things that you make t-shirts out of, but they doesn't really mean anything to your life. But trusting in the Lord, when the proverb says trust in the Lord, this is an incredibly practical thing that the Proverbs is getting at here. Trusting in the Lord, uh, trust is one of the things in the Bible that is like observable. It, it's not just this pie in the sky, spiritual thing that happens on the inside. Trust is one of those things that you can see when trust is happening. It, it's not just one of those things that, that you set aside and make t-shirts out of and it doesn't really mean anything. It is a practical, observable thing when you trust in something. For instance, if I was on top of a skyscraper, went on the Empire State Building one time, I'll never do that again. But if I was on, really because the crowd's more than the height, but if I was on the Empire State Building, if I was on top of a skyscraper, you know what I wouldn't do? I wouldn't step off the side. You know why? Because I trust in gravity. Every day, I make 
practical, observable application in my life to the fact that I trust in gravity. Every single day, you can see through the way that I live my life that I trust in gravity. Now, I, I know that's a silly metaphor. Like, I get it. I was kind of trying to be silly on purpose there because I want you just to catch this big truth that trust, it, it, it's not just something you say. It's not just something you think about. It's something that you can see. Trust is observable. It's behavioral. You, you can see when somebody trusts in something. I, I don't understand gravity. I can't explain the math of gravity, but every day I make decisions because I trust in gravity. And that's how it is when you trust in the Lord. Think about the people in the scripture. Noah. Noah didn't just believe it was going to rain. He built a boat. He trusted that this was going to happen. Abraham didn't just uh, believe that there was a promised land for him. He actually traveled when God told him to go in that other direction, told him to go to this land that he would show him. David, he, he went and got smooth stones and, and he killed his giant. Moses confronted Pharaoh. Esther confronted her king. Daniel went to the lion's den. And I could go on and on and on and on with examples from the Bible of people who, who trusted you observably and behaviorally trusted in the Lord, that, that their trust in the Lord, it made impact into the actual decisions, the real decisions that they actually and really made in their lives. That's what it means to trust in the Lord. This isn't just about believing in something. This isn't just about aspirational kinds of things. This is behavioral, observable practice. Now, with that said... Let's go back to Proverbs 3, and I want to show you a specific way that the Proverbs teaches us and shows us about what it looks like. Again, real life, real decisions, observable behavior to trust in the Lord. And let's keep reading in context to what Proverbs 3 teaches. Instead of just lifting these verses out from nowhere, let's look at them in context. And I'm just going to keep reading here because Proverbs 3 verses 1 through 10 is one thought. Verse 11 introduces a new thought. So we're going to read through verse 10. And here's a very specific, practical way of what it means to trust in the Lord. So again, I'm going to start with verse 5, the famous verses again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Now let's keep reading. We don't only don't read past this, so let's keep reading past this. Verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. This is basically what Proverbs 3 said it before. Like, if you're going to trust in the Lord, you trust in his wisdom, not just conventional wisdom. And then verse 9 and 10, very practical, specific way you're going to trust in the Lord. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits. Pay attention to that word. We're going to talk about that in just a second. The first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And then verse 11 introduces a new thought. But I want you to catch this. I want you to catch this. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, famous, famous verses about trust in the Lord, gives us a very specific and practical way that the trust of the Lord will show up in our lives. Because while these two verses may start out with this idea of trusting the Lord, it ends with talking about what we do with money. Because our trust of the Lord, again, it's practical, it's observable, you can see it, you can tell it when it's happening or not happening. It's going to be shown up with, with how we treat our money. This is what Proverbs 3 is teaching us. They're tied together. Now, I, I know 
that whenever the preacher brings up money, everyone just got uncomfortable. I get some of you just shifted in your seats. I get it. I get it. We, we don't like to talk about money. We, don't, we feel like all the church wants is our money, and so therefore we can't, we can't talk about money. But did you know the Bible talks about money a lot? Like 40% of all of the stories Jesus told were about money. Did you know that? 40%. Um, in the New Testament, one out of every 10 verses is about money. In the Gospel of Luke, one out of every seven verses is about money. And so if Jesus talked about money like 40% of the time, and if I wanted to preach like Jesus... I mean, we could be preaching about money 40% of the time, and we're not doing that that often. So we're just doing it a few times, so it's okay. But I get it. We get, it, we get uncomfortable. But, but the truth of the matter is that how we deal with our money, and this is why the Bible talks about this, is going to be related and connected to how we trust in the Lord. The reason why the Bible talks so much about money is because money is a big part of our life. And money is one of the things that causes more people stress and anxiety than anything else. And so, of course, the Bible has things to say about how we deal with money and interact with money because it's such an important part of our lives and who we are and the stress and anxiety we feel about ourselves. And so, of course, the Bible has much to say. And so if we look at Proverbs 3 and just really focus in on Proverbs 3, I want you to see a specific thing that the Bible brings up about how to think about money. Because what it says is to trust in the Lord, and then it draws this straight line to, to a specific way that uh, your uh, trust in the Lord is going to be shown uh, with how you deal with money. And that the specific thing is, is called here in Proverbs chapter 3, um, the first fruits. The first fruits. That's what the Bible says here. Honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of all your crops. And so let's, let's talk about that for just a few moments here, the, the first fruits idea. Um, in the Bible, because this is a technical thing, so I want to understand the technical thing. So in the Bible, there is this consistent teaching that everything you have in your life is actually from the Lord. God has given you everything that you have. There's not anything you have that God didn't give you. This is why we call ourselves stewards or managers, because we recognize that everything we have is from the Lord. And the Lord says, because everything is from him, that we are to take some of what he has given us and to give back to the work that he is doing. And so biblically speaking, we're called to give 10% of that back to the Lord. And the biblical word for that 10% is what? Tithe, right, tithe. 10% is back to the Lord. But what's interesting about the tithe is that when the Lord calls us to give 10% back to him, it's not any 10% that comes back to him. It's a specific 10% that comes back to him. And the specific 10% is the first 10%, not the last 10%. And this is what we call the first fruits. That from the first fruit of what you have, you take that 10% and give it back to the Lord. Now imagine you lived 3,000 years ago when this proverb was written. Probably you're some sort of farmer because everyone, even if you worked in the market, was some sort of farmer. In those days, there's no such thing as a savings account. There's no real currency or money. There's, there's no real uh, uh, pension. There's no 401ks. There's no IRAs. There's none of the security. There's no insurance that we might have. And you're a farmer in those days. You're raising crops, maybe sheep or goats. And the, the Lord calls you to take 10% of whatever it is you're raising, the first 10% of whatever it is you're raising, and to bring that to the Lord for the Lord's work. How'd you feel about that? Probably pretty terrible, because that's frightening. 
that you're going to take 10%, the first 10% of whatever it is I'm raising, and to bring that back to the Lord. This to take 10% before I know what's going to happen to the next 90%. That's terrifying. And what would happen probably, I mean, I don't know, I didn't live 3,000 years ago, but I'm, I'm assuming maybe what would happen is that if you were called to do this, there would be a question that would start to emerge in your brain every time you were to bring this 10% of whatever it is you're supposed to bring, the first 10% of your crop. And I would imagine that every time you're called to bring that offering, you would start asking a question, it's a simple question, but it's also one of those questions that just kills faith. Two words, you just start asking this question. What if, what if in the next 90% that I'm raising of the sheep or the goats or the crops, like what if there's a flood and my 90% goes away or 30% of that 90% goes away? What if, what if some of my sheep get stolen and I've already taken 10% to the Lord? Like what if, what if, what if there's a drought? What if, what if something bad happens? That's the question about what if. Anytime you start to trust in the Lord with whatever it is you're trusting in, in him with, there's going to be a moment where it's terrifying. That's the nature of trust, by the way. Anytime you're going to trust in the Lord, it's going to be scary. And what's going to happen is this question is going to start to emerge in your mind. Well, what if? What if I trust in the Lord and something bad happens? What if I take a step and, and I trust because it's going to be observable and practical and it's going to be seen. So what if I trust in the Lord and in my act of trusting, like the Lord doesn't come through for me? What if? And every time you start to trust in the Lord, it doesn't matter what you're going to trust in the Lord about, but every time you trust in the Lord, you're going to ask yourself that question, what if? And when you start asking yourself that question, what if? your faith begins to dwindle and your trust begins to dwindle because you start to dwell on all of the things that might not go right. And it doesn't matter what you're trusting the Lord about. What if, what if, what if it doesn't work like it's supposed to work? What if I invite my friend to church and she laughs at me? What if? What if I volunteer in the youth ministry and a 16 year old kid asks me a question that I don't know the answer to? What if? What if I pray for my friend who's sick and she doesn't get well? What, what if? Every time you take a step to trust in the Lord, you're going to be asking yourself this question, what if? And so what happened back then, 3,000 years ago, these people have this call to bring the first 10% of their crop before they know what happens to the next 90%. This is an act of trust. Trust that the Lord's going to come through and provide for us in the way that he, he, he's called us to. And so, so what happened back then... <clears throat> was that it became common practice for people not to bring the first 10%, but to bring the last 10%. And they'd start to bring what you called maybe the leftovers or whatever they had left at the end of their harvest or their crop. And so instead of bringing the first and the best 10%, they're going to start bringing the sheep or the goats that are sick or crippled. That's what they start to bring to the Lord. They're going to start to bring the crops that didn't grow as, as good as the others and didn't produce as much uh, harvest as the others. And they're going to bring that to the Lord because that's the part that they can do without. And it's not scary to give up that part of the harvest. And so when there's this call to the tithe, the first 10%, the people, they start bringing the leftovers, the parts that they're not going to miss, the parts that aren't scary or challenging to them. And this is what they end up bringing to the Lord. This becomes common practice. And because becomes so common that there's a prophet in the Old Testament who addresses this practice directly. And this prophet in the Old Testament, this is what he said to the people because they were, that's exactly what they were doing. They're not bringing their first 10%. They're bringing their leftovers, the part they're not going to miss. 
And this is what the prophet says to them. This is Malachi chapter 3. It says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? Robbing, that's the word. I don't know about you, but I sure hope the Lord never looks to me and says, you are robbing me. Do you ask, how are we robbing you? And then it goes on, in tithes and offerings. And specifically what this is about, this specific context here, is that the people are not bringing the first fruits, the first 10% of their crops. They're bringing their leftovers, the sick and the lame and the crippled animals and the, and the bad crops. This is what they're bringing. So God says, you're robbing me in tithes and offerings. He goes on, he says, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the first 10%, the whole tithe, everything I've said into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be room enough to store. It's like, just try me on this one. Trust me, try me on this one. I'll come through for you. He goes on and says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. There's this, this practice that the people are having that they're not bringing the first fruits, the part that takes trust. Instead, they're bringing their leftovers. And the Lord, when he sees this, he just says, you're, you're robbing me of what I've called you to bring. Now, here's an, kind of an obvious question. Why do you think the people are doing that? Why do you think they're bringing the leftovers instead of the first fruits? And there's probably all kinds of ways to answer that, but, but probably at, at the baseline, don't you think it kind of just boils down to this, that they're afraid? They're afraid. Because, because what if it doesn't go the way that it's supposed to go? What if something bad happens? What if I need that 10%? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? This is the, the question that begins to emerge. And, and, and so you, you see the reason why generosity is so important to contentment. And the reason why these things are tied together is because there is a fundamental truth about generosity that you have to grasp. And it's this, sis, generosity, friends, generosity, it is rooted in trust. Generosity, it is rooted in trust. Generosity is rooted in trust. You will not be able to live into generosity without trusting in the Lord. It, it, they, they work together in the same way that trust is observable. It is, it is behavioral. You can point to it and see it and you can, you can see when it's happening. You will be able to look at your financial life and be able to determine, do, do I trust in the Lord? with my financial life. That's really the question that's being asked um, in Proverbs chapter three is, is do I trust in the Lord with, with this part of my life? Because, because generosity is going to be the kind of life where my life has to change because I'm, I'm trusting that the Lord um, is gonna provide for me. So think about generosity like this. I want two scenarios here for you to think about generosity. Here's the first. Imagine that you go to lunch with your friend and you, you both uh, share, I don't know, a sandwich together and you have lunch. And, and when the check comes, uh, your friend picks up the check and you say, ah, thank you. And you might say something like this, you're so generous, thank you. Well, that's one scenario and that's probably how a lot of us might think about generosity. But here's another scenario. Imagine that you and your friend go to lunch and this time over lunch, uh, you order whatever, a sandwich and your friend doesn't order anything. And you think that's kind of strange. Maybe there's something going on, they just don't order anything. And, 
You eat your lunch in front of them and you talk the whole time. And at the end of lunch, uh, your friend reaches for the check. And you're like, no, 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 no. You can't pay for this. I, I'm the one who ate. You didn't even eat. And your friend goes, no, no, no. I, I didn't eat because I wanted to be able to afford you lunch. Now, which, which one of those is, is really generosity? It's the kind where my life has been impacted. It's the kind where I've had to make uh, significant changes or, 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 or difference to my life because I've made a choice about how it is I'm going to spend my money and how it is what I'm going to do with this. This is the kind of generosity that is the first fruit kind of generosity where my life has actually had to be impacted and changed because I've trusted in the Lord. It's, it's not just that I'm, I'm able to give out of the leftovers of my life, just the easy thing, the part that doesn't impact me at all, like maybe if I buy my friend lunch and I also get to, it's when, it's when my life actually begins to make different choices in my real life, in the real way that I live. This is when generosity begins to bloom because this is when trust begins to take hold. The great C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, one of the best books Christians need to read, Mere Christianity, he taught about the practice of generosity. And he taught about it like this. Like generosity for Christians is what happens when our lives begin to make different kind of choices because we've chosen to give. Here's how C.S. Lewis says this. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. He goes on and says, I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities, he goes on, if our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they're too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. That last sentence, I've lived with this quote for years, and that last sentence always grabs my attention because it makes me wonder and ask myself every time I read it, does this describe me? Is, is my life demonstrating that I trust in the Lord with my finances, my finances because I'm actually making choices in my life that cause me to live differently than I would have otherwise? That's the idea of trust, that my life actually has to be lived differently because I'm giving away so much that I have to live in a new kind of way. And so this morning, as we work our way through this, I, I want to ask you to consider, what does your financial life tell you about how you trust in the Lord. And I'm not asking you, are you giving away X number of dollars? I'm, I'm saying, does your generosity indicate somebody who is trusting God with the resources that they've been given? And so to grow this muscle a little bit, I want to give you some really practical advice that, that my wife and I have lived in for the last, I don't know, 20 years or so. And it's a practical, practical thing that, that we've lived our whole married life, we've lived into this. And I just want to offer it to you. And this, this is a formula to figure out how much the Lord is calling you to, to give away. And this is not a formula that just says 10%, that's it. No, but rather it's, it's a formula to help you discover what does it mean for me to trust God with this? So here's how the formula goes. You need to discover for yourself what's a comfortable amount for you to give away. What's an amount that if you were to give it away to church or to charity would not be something that bothers you or not be something that really you have to change much about your life? Well, that amount right there that you come up with, that's your leftover. 
That's your sick sheep or your goats that you don't need anymore. It's your crops that didn't grow very much. It's not going to challenge you or be hard at all. It's just, it's just your leftovers. And so what you want to do is you want to find that amount. And then you want to think about what is that as a percent in your life? Because the Bible always teaches about money and percent. And that amount is going to be different for everybody, depending on your financial situations, depending on your, your spiritual maturity. And what you want to do is take that amount and then go one or 2% more. And the reason for that one or 2% more is because this is the muscle of trust. That when I get into an uncomfortable situation, I'm trusting the Lord in this. And that's where we begin to grow. You see, the question about generosity is not the question of, have I met 10%? The question of generosity is, am I trusting God with my money? Am I trusting God with this part of my life? And this is why my wife and I, even though we tithe, we still ask this question every year because we want to be thinking, are we trusting the Lord with what he's given us and what he's called us to do? We don't want to give over our leftovers. We want to get, give out of the sense of trust. And so this morning, let me just close with this. As you begin to trust the Lord more with your finances, what you're going to find is that your level of contentment is going to rise. These two things are directly tied together. And the less you trust God with your finances, the more you're going to want more and more and more and more to consume in your life. That The key is how these things work together. And so this morning, a simple question for you as we work through this, if trust is observable, if you can see it, and it's behavioral, what does your financial life say about how you trust in the Lord? Let's pray. And so, Lord, this morning, we give you thanks that you are trustworthy. We can take every part of our life and put it in your hands. And instead of that saying, what if this or that happens, we can say instead, I trust you. This is what you call us to do. This is how you call us to live. This is what you call us to, to be. And so, Lord, we want to take all of our life including our financial life, and put it in your hands. And so God, today, as we consider this question that makes so many of us uncomfortable, would you give us courage to look at our life, our whole life, our financial life, and to ask this question, does this demonstrate that we trust you? And where there is area of growth, would you give us courage to take steps of trust? Because you are trustworthy and the more we put our lives into your hands, we find your goodness and grace meets us there in that place. And so God, today we give you thanks that you do not leave us, you do not forsake us, but you are always with us. May we be those who trust in you in all our ways. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.